morning. I'm Phyllis Perkins, and I'll be reading our scripture this morning from Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, I ask this morning that you would warm the most cold heart among us, the sleepiest among us, that you would wake up through an encounter with you in your word. May we see Christ more clearly than we ever have. And in seeing him, may we see who we are more clearly than we ever have before. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who here likes a good yard sale? Anyone? Who likes a good yard sale? Yeah, you know who you are. (laughs) And your family knows too. When you see that homemade poster board sign with an arrow pointing into an unknown neighborhood, there is a squealing of the brakes and a sudden violent turn of the car. Your life has a new purpose in that moment. You fully devoted yourself to a new mission, to a mission of joyful discovery, to finding some incredible deal to rescuing some forsaken treasure from this outdoor folding table where it's been laid discarded and unwanted. After all, it was such a great price, you just couldn't leave it there, right? You'd be losing money, not jumping on such a good deal. Honey, let me tell you about all the money I saved by buying this thing. Someone will want it, surely. Someone will need it. I couldn't just leave it there. It only costs $5. I couldn't leave it there. Now, most yard sales are largely the getting rid of unwanted things. The house is too full, and we need to get rid of some of this junk so that we can start filling it up again with other junk. (laughs) In most yard sales, people are getting rid of their unwanted things. Even when you run across an estate sale like we did last week, People are getting rid of someone else's things. They're things that they don't want to inherit. They don't want to own. But now imagine you're following the yard sale sign deeper and deeper into a neighborhood. After following the arrows through several turns, you spot the place. A house that is looking like all of its insides have been scattered out on the lawn. As you pull to a stop at the curve, you can tell that this yard sale is different. 
there is a buzz in the air. There's a flurry of fast-moving, excited people. This yard sale isn't the normal fare. This isn't your typical unwanted junk. All this stuff is good. Amazingly good stuff is here. All in good condition, all in good nick. Household treasures, long collected, long loved, are all out, open, for sale. There's a full library of vintage hardback books over here. There's an incredible board game collection over there. There's a classic baseball card collection on the table beside a historic coin collection. There's a staggering stamp collection next to a massive intact Lego sets with instruction manuals before them, all there, all the pieces. And over here, there is one-of-a-kind movie memorabilia. Is that the Golden Idol from Indiana Jones? Yes, it is. It's there. Look here. It's Luke Skywalker's original on-screen lightsaber. And it's signed. What? All this stuff, you hurriedly gather up all the items you can and seek out the owner. And you're expecting to find some utterly deflated, incredibly sad, down on his luck, forced to part with all of his treasures type of guy. But when you finally find the man, he has a big smile on his face. It looks like just about everything you have is up for sale, you say. Yes, everything must go, he responds. What's going on, you ask him? Why are you selling all these treasures? He laughs and simply says, all these things just don't matter to me anymore. Not even Luke's signed lightsaber, you ask? Luke is dead to me now, he says with a smile. What about all these books, all these board games? Dead to me, he laughs. Well, okay, your loss. Ring me up. I'm happy to, but I only take cash, he says with a wink. You leave the yard cell thinking, that guy's crazy. Either a screw is loose or a mob debt needs to be paid off quickly or some life-ending health condition he's just heard about. How, what could make him part with all these treasures, everything he had? A couple of weeks go by, and you still can't stop thinking about the man who seemed glad to sell all that he had. You pull up local news on AL.com, and you're stopped in your tracks. You see this headline. Tuscaloosa man buys 10 acres for $100,000 cash and discovers a buried treasure worth over $100 million. And there is the man's picture staring back at you. Same smile on his face, same wink in his eye. He wasn't crazy. He had a great reason to sell quickly and gladly all he had. A great reason to consider all of his old treasures as dead to him. A new vastly more valuable treasure had captured his heart and taken the place of all his old treasures. If you haven't guessed it already, my yard sale story isn't really my story. It's a modern retelling of a story Jesus told. Except Jesus, like the genius he is, told the whole story in one sentence. One verse. 
Matthew 13, verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And in his joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus succinctly tells a first century yard sale story. A yard sale story that teaches a massive kingdom reality. A massive kingdom reality about how we replace our old treasures, our old desires, our old values. How do we do it? How do you replace your old treasures? How do we die to our old desires? Jesus' answer is simply, your heart has to be captured by new and better desires. You have to find a better treasure in order to gladly let go of your old one. Something new and better has to push out the old. If someone were to ask, what's the best way to get all the air out of a glass beaker? You might start thinking about all the ways you could suck the air out and create some sort of vacuum. But the actual best way to get all the air out isn't to create a vacuum in the beaker, but to fill it with something else, like a liquid. Pour liquid into a cup, and it forces out all the air that's in it. The denser, weightier thing forces out the less dense thing. In this way, what's true of a cup is also true of our hearts. We can't kill a desire simply by wishing it gone, by pushing it out. Pushing out a desire only creates a vacuum. Something else will be pulled in to that vacuum and take its place. By necessity, something will always occupy first place in our hearts, in our affections. First place can't be an empty slot. Everyone has to have an ultimate thing. Something has to take first place in our affections all the time. If I push dark chocolate out of first place in my heart, salted caramel immediately comes rushing in to take its place. And in that case, Jesus' words are true, that the last state has become worse than the first, especially for my teeth. Now, that's a a rather silly example, but let's consider a rather serious one here. I remember crossing the bridge on 43, once upon a time, and seeing an anti-meth billboard. The ad pictured just a lady's shriveled lips and rotten teeth, and the only caption under the billboard said this. It said, I used to be pretty. Do you remember that billboard? I used to be pretty. Do you see what's happening there in that advertisement? An appeal is being made to push out one desire, the desire for meth, by appealing to another desire, a person's desire to be attractive, by appealing to a person's vanity. I used to be pretty. Will the desire to stay pretty or the fear of becoming ugly be enough to push out the desire for street drugs? For some people, the answer might be yes. For others... No. But the crucial thing to see is the nature of the appeal being made. Very often, people are being counseled to push out one sin by welcoming in another. You want to be less selfish, but you replace it with a growing need to please 
other people. You want to be less controlled by the fear of others, but you're told to just do you without any regard to others. A man might kill his sexually immoral desires, but if he does it by appealing to his sense of self-righteousness and moral superiority, then he's just replaced one sin with another. He's pushed out the obvious sin only to replace it with a more subtle, socially acceptable sin, pride. In yard sale terms, the man has only swapped one piece of junk for another. What when what his heart really needs is a new, vastly more valuable treasure, one that will change him so much that he gladly sells off the old to have the new. In our passage this morning, this is what we are all called to do. Paul calls us all to swap out our treasures, to die to some old things so that we might have new, better things, to die to some old darling sins and treasures that we might joyfully take hold of real riches and life that is found in Christ. In Colossians 3, 5 through 11, I want you to see four things, four calls, four things Christians are called to. Some of them involve dying to the old. Some of them involve living to the new. All of them are, completely, are a completely different way to fill our hearts. All of them are a completely different way to push the air out of the beaker, to push out the undesirable things from our hearts. Instead of swapping like for like, sin for sin, we're called to fill our hearts with something denser, something better, something truly life-giving. But before we hear a call to live, we must first hear a call to die. This is the first of the four things Paul calls you to do in verses 5 through 7. It's a call to daily die to your old desires. Daily die to your old desires. We see that in verses 5 through 7. Look at verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Paul calls us to daily die to our old desires, to be putting to death these old things in us. Old desires like this, immorality, Paul says. Immorality, this is the Greek word pornea which I think you already know what it stands for. It stands for all expressions of sexuality outside the bounds of God's design. All expressions outside the bounds of God's covenantal, consensual, committed relationship of love between a husband and a wife. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Sexual expression within the bounds is like fire in the fireplace. It's safe. It's delightful. It brings warmth to the whole house. But take fire outside of the fireplace, and it's dangerous. A fire outside the fireplace just might burn the whole house down. Outside of God's bounds, there is potential for great hurt and brokenness, for great abuse and misuse 
and for lifelong scars to develop. God's design for sexuality can still be twisted and bent even within the bounds of marriage, but outside the bounds of covenant commitment, there is only pornea. There is only immorality. There is only impurity. There are only passions that blind us to what's best. There are only evil desires that are self-destructive and that seek to selfishly use others. We're meant to die to all these desires, including greed, verse 5. You see that? Greed, which amounts to idolatry. I think greed, I think of greed as the driving force, really, behind many of these other desires. At the yard sale, greed is like that one really good piece of furniture out there out front, beckoning you out of the safety of your car as you pull up. Greed is the desire that starts the whole ball rolling. Greed greed starts the ball rolling by whispering, you don't have enough. You need more. You deserve more. Greed will start you down the road of sexual immorality by saying, hey, you're missing out. You're lacking something really good. You don't need to wait anymore. Just reach out. And take it. That's the original lie, isn't it? Greed will start you down the road of other evil desires. I see something my neighbor has that I want, and I start scheming as to how I might get it. David and Bathsheba, anyone? That's what's happening. Greed is a sin, and greed will often very often lead us to commit other sins in order to get what we want. Why is that? Paul gives us a clue at the end of verse 5. He says that greed is a vice that amounts to idolatry. Idolatry. Here's how idolatry works. At any given moment, whatever takes first place in our hearts is essentially our God. When our ultimate thing is God, great, Everything's as it should be. But when anything else is our ultimate, it's idolatry. That thing, whether it's money or success or a romantic relationship, has taken God's rightful place in our hearts and has become an idol. Greed is all about consuming us with other things, something else. Making something else we don't have into our ultimate thing. If I could just be in a romantic relationship with that person. If I could just get that job or that promotion. If I could just have that child I so desperately want, then I will have arrived. Paul warns us here that desires, even good desires, when elevated to an ultimate place in our hearts, amounts to idolatry. That's why a famous French theologian once said that the human heart is an idol factory. We are constantly churning out idols. We are constantly collecting idols like a hoarder collects junk. Because as soon as one thing gets pushed out from the top slot in our affections, something else must take its place. That's why 
The, Christ, the call to us as Christians is to die daily to our old desires. Once is not enough. You can push your desire for applause and approval off the throne one day, but guess what? It might just be back looking for his seat again the very next day. You can kick over the idol of lust for one hour only to see it rise again in the next. Colossians calls us, therefore, to daily die to our old desires. We're called to daily die moment by moment to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil desires, to greed. How do you do that? Jesus' answer, the ultimate answer, is that you find a stronger desire. You find a treasure that you joyfully sell everything else to possess. You make Jesus your heart's ultimate treasure today and every day because Jesus can't be your ultimate treasure and yet you go on pursuing that illicit affair. No, one will push the other out. Jesus can't be your greatest treasure and you're plotting to steal from your neighbor. The greater treasure kills the lesser. Our great problem is that our hearts are often in a state of flux, aren't they? I bet you know this from experience, that a person can be treasuring Jesus supremely one hour and then treasuring their reputation supremely the next. Peter says to Jesus one hour, I'm ready to go to prison and die with you, Jesus. But a few hours later, Peter supremely values his own skin more than Jesus. Peter swears and denies that he ever knew Jesus. That episode just demonstrates what we already knew. Our hearts are in a constant state of flux. And that's why we're called to daily, moment by moment, die. Lay our lives down. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. We are called to die daily to our old desires. We're also called to die daily to our old responses. If you're taking notes, this is the second heading. You're called to die daily to your old responses. Die daily to your old responses, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, But now you also put them all aside Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Our old desires come with corresponding old responses. We greedily want something we don't have, and the default response from our heart is one of anger. And you don't have to teach that to a child, do you? That's the child's natural response. You don't get what you want to get angry. Our natural response is one of wrath and malice toward those standing between us and what we want. We slander those who we perceive as a threat to us getting what we desire. We engage in abusive speech against those we hate. And sometimes we engage in abusive speech against those we love. 
it's not just the old desires we are to put to death. We are also to put to death our old responses, our old actions. Actually, we know the old desires are still active in us when we see these old responses coming out of us. God calls us to cast off all our old responses like you would cast off old clothes at a yard sale. Just leave them there. You don't need them. You don't need that anger. It doesn't fit you anymore. You don't need to respond with lies and abusive speech anymore. Those clothes no longer become you. Don't you remember? You've cast off those old ugly garments and exchanged them for royal robes. You, Christian, have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Those old responses don't become you anymore. These old responses no longer define you. They are no longer your part of your identity. You are called to act and to respond now like who you really are. Like you really have discovered the grace of all treasures hidden in a field. Others don't understand you. How you can smile and be happy as your old treasures slip from your hands. As your career, your health As your public approval rating tanks, you can still be happy because you know something that they don't. You know where your ultimate treasure lies. It is safe. It is hidden. Christ is the hidden treasure filling your heart, pushing out the lesser things, your old treasures, your old desires, your old ambitions. With your new treasure filling your heart, your default responses gradually begin to change. Where anger, wrath, malice would have been your old natural responses, you now turn the other cheek. Where slander, abusive speech, and outright lies would have been your posture toward those opposing you, you now pray for your enemies. You love them because Christ loved you while you were his enemy. And freely gave you himself as the greatest treasure imaginable. Because Christ has captured your heart, the old self, with his old desires and responses, is pushed out. It's a daily fight, isn't it? It's a daily fight. But you can win. You can overcome as long as you make Christ your ultimate treasure. It's really really that simple. We overcome when we make Christ our ultimate treasure. As we make him our ultimate treasure and as we obey this call. Verse 10. It's the third thing. The call to daily renew your old self. Daily, sorry, daily renew your new self. Not your old. Daily renew your new self. Verse 10. And having put on the new self who has been renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. When you came upon that yard cell, looking like a house that just had all of its guts spilled out, you didn't know that this was a picture of what God would do with you. In God's hands, we are all yard cells. We are all renovation projects. We all need daily renewal and purging of the old. 
throwing out the old junk in us in order to make room for something new and better. We've got to throw out our old ways of thinking in order to have our minds renewed by God's way of thinking. We've got to cast off our old ways of seeing the world in order to put on God's fresh and correct perspective. It's like Paul commanded in Romans 12. He commands us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Daily, we are to be moving our minds farther out of conformity with the world and further into conformity with God's mind. This is a renewal project. It's a renewal project that never ends in this life. We are all ongoing renovations. A lot in us needs to be gutted out and demoed. The old thought patterns and wiring in us all needs to be rewired. Much of our old mental furniture doesn't just need to be rearranged. It needs to be dumped out in the yard and never to enter the house again. One of these old ways of thinking that needs to be gutted out of us is our old prejudice. That's the last thing I want you to see, the final heading. We are to die daily to old distinctions, verse 11. Die daily to old distinctions. This is a renewal, Paul says, in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. I don't have the time to say much here, but I want to say that verse 11 is obviously revolutionary. It is still revolutionary. Paul says that one of the things Jesus has come expressly to do is to tear down all the dividing walls that we naturally erect. Sinful humans naturally build barriers, barriers that separate us from them. These barriers are ones of culture, education, race, economic standing, class, politics, identity. But Jesus has come to tear all these barriers down and make us one. Jesus says to the Jew and to the Greek believer, you are now one family. Eat together, fellowship together, worship together. Jesus says to the circumcised and to the uncircumcised that religious identity markers count for nothing. What really matters is the circumcision of the heart. What really matters is a changed heart. Jesus says to the barbarian and the Scythian, your high culture doesn't impress me but nor does your primitive ways put me off. Both barbarian and Scythian need a cultural shift. Both barbarian and Scythian need to find a shared gospel culture of love and welcome and peace and joy. Jesus tears down the wall of culture by creating a new one, creating a shared gospel culture of people from every tribe, race, and nation around the world, becoming a family together under him. Jesus says to the slave and to the free man, 
You are both brothers. Act like it. Live like it. Treat each other like it. You are both my slaves. And you are both will only find true freedom in me. There is now no distinction because Christ is all and is in all. All are one in Christ Jesus. He is the substance, the the greatest, the densest substance of all that pushes out all the lesser things from our heart. Jesus, he is the proper ultimate, the only ultimate that doesn't lead us into idolatry. Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field, the treasure that makes us gladly part with all our old junk in order to possess him. Whether we like yard sales or we hate them, let's all participate in a spiritual yard sale. Let's daily push out all the old junk into the yard, out into the road, declaring with a smile, everything must go. I am now dead to these old things because a greater treasure has captured my heart. Father, may you do this work in all of us. May we push out the old, not simply by willing it, but by welcoming in the new, the supreme, the greatest treasure of all, Christ, a God who comes to die for us, who's raised again to live for us, who welcomes us into his family, into the royal family of heaven. May we embrace him, the greatest of all treasure, and embracing him, may all these lesser things be pushed out, be, be counted as loss. We, we gladly let them go and discard them because we have real riches in Christ. May every heart here embrace Christ as their treasure today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.